Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Christine, freelance copywriter and creator of paidcopywriter.com, a place where I help writers land high paying freelance clients using LinkedIn. Something I've been very upfront with you guys about is that even though I built my entire freelance business on LinkedIn, I am not a LinkedIn expert. I don't create content on that platform. I landed my freelance clients on LinkedIn just by knowing the bare minimum, which is basically filling out my profile correctly and cold pitching. Now, before becoming a freelancer, I used to use LinkedIn to get hired at my regular nine to five jobs and I used it as a salesperson. But when I decided I was gonna become a freelance copywriter, I realized I wasn't getting anywhere with cold emailing. And LinkedIn was just so much easier. It was this direct way for me to get right in touch with my ideal freelance clients. But what about the freelancers that do want to use LinkedIn as their long-term marketing strategy beyond just cold pitching? Well, that's why I'm excited to learn from today's guest, Mindy Rosser. Mindy is a LinkedIn expert, coach, and consultant, and she specializes in helping business leaders master LinkedIn and get more clients to grow their freelance business. So I took an interest in Mindy because like me, she's an entrepreneur that lives near the beach, although she's living on Hawaii and I only get to the beach about three months out of the year because it gets cold where I am. And like me, she transitioned out of her nine to five to becoming a freelancer as well. So Mindy helps business owners, thought leaders, subject matter experts to start having great conversations with their audience, their prospects, and their peers based on trust, authenticity, and consistency on LinkedIn. She's worked within the agency world with startups and then decided to branch out to work directly with business leaders on their social presence, building thought leadership, and just working with them to fill their pipeline with ideal clients using LinkedIn. As an entrepreneur, she values freedom and coloring outside the lines. She loves building systems that worked on, that work on LinkedIn and testing them to generate results for her client. So welcome, Mindy. <laughs> so much for that gracious intro. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Explain to me how Mindy Rosser marketing came about and how you became an expert on LinkedIn and a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, it kind of all started about 10, 12 years ago. I was in a marketing agency at the time and I, I loved what I did. I mean, it was fun. Like I got to do lots of different campaigns for really large brands that all of us would recognize. And it, there was something though about it that was missing. So I decided to look for my dream job. And the one place to do that was LinkedIn. So I started doing this thing with, that I called the 30 day job a day challenge. So for 30 days, I'm like, I'm going to submit my resume. I'm going to tailor my LinkedIn profile and I'm going to reach out to hiring managers or people that I think are interviewing for the positions that I wanted using LinkedIn. So I did that for about two weeks and every, every morning I would get up like at four 30 in the morning and I would send out my resume and it was, it was really fun. Like my husband kind of got on board with it and we made it like this fun little ritual. And after two weeks I had my, for, I had two interviews and one of them, I ended up landing the job, but how I got it was not just from submitting the interviews and using LinkedIn. It was really reaching out on LinkedIn. So I would send these personal LinkedIn messages. And back then it was really rare. People weren't blasting and, you know, sales pitching people uh, via LinkedIn. It was really like a place of communication and people were like, wow, yeah, okay. You don't really have the credentials, but maybe you can do it. <laughs> You know, so I'll give you a chance and let you have the interview. And so that panned out well for me. And I actually did land that job and it was fun, 
But what kept pulling me was the LinkedIn portion. And a lot of my peers saying, I kept asking me, Mindy, Mindy, how did you do that? That was so cool. You did like this challenge and you got your dream job. Like, can you help me with my profile? Can you help me learn how to reach out to people? I don't know how to do it in a way that feels natural to me. And so that kind of culminated in me wanting to become more of an entrepreneur and really focus on that side hustle more than the dream job that was at a startup. So I actually decided to go all in and I started working with people on LinkedIn first, kind of like helping them with their profiles and like the marketing side of things. And then really starting to work with people on the sales side and like, okay, there's a, there's marketing that's involved, but there's also, if LinkedIn isn't giving you business and it's not driving and filling your pipeline, like why are you on LinkedIn? So really tying the two together in a way that felt seamless for consultants, entrepreneurs, small business owners, technology entrepreneurs. So that's really been like my sweet spot and what I, what I really, really enjoy. Awesome. Okay. This is going to be very relevant. I think LinkedIn is really intimidating, especially for those who are just getting on the platform. And I know for me, there's a lot of times where I'm scrolling through my feed and there's just this cringe factor. There's a lot of bragging and self-promotion and just like general corniness Um, and then not to mention, sometimes people can be really negative and use LinkedIn as like a public shaming strategy. That's their content strategy is calling out stuff. (laughs) I'm in the sales world because I was a sales rep before becoming a freelance copywriter. So a lot of people would put like bad cold pitches on blast and be like, stop sending these types of messages. Tell me the things that irritate you on LinkedIn and tell me what you love about it. Okay. This is going to be fun. Yeah. I think when you mentioned like cringeworthy, I'm like, yes, I come across so much that is like cringeworthy. You're like, oh, who told you that was a good idea to put on LinkedIn? I don't know. Or maybe you thought this was clever. Yeah. I think that things that I think are especially cringeworthy, I I really shy away from, I don't like the stuff that feels too self-promotional. I think there's a place for it. Like, yes, if you are doing a launch or something, you want to celebrate something like your company just won an award, or there was like a, a really powerful thing that happened for you. Yeah. Talk about that, but it shouldn't be all that you talk about. And I feel like sometimes people get into this sales and marketing cycle where they're just like, okay, I have to push my book or I'm a speaker. So I have to always be talking about me speaking, you know, and we forget that LinkedIn is kind of like a two-way street. Like it's about having a conversation. And if you're just shouting at people on a megaphone, that's not helpful. That's really not going to help you long-term. Yes, you may get some engagement, some comments, some likes, but it's just not a good long-term strategy. You have to kind of sprinkle it in because the most important thing in that feed is really to provide value. So if you're not providing value, you know, it's like you really shouldn't be posting it. It has to be valuable to the people that are inside your network as well. So I think it's not just valuable to you that you think, oh yeah, this is great, but is it actually providing value to other people? So those are the things that kind of make me cringe. It's just like people bragging, people overdo polls a lot. Like I see so many polls or the same people posting polls all the time. And I think you really want to be thoughtful about how often you use polls because it's, yes, it kind of does game the algorithm a little bit and LinkedIn likes them, but you can be seen as just kind of being uh, superficial and that you're just trying to do it for engagement. Another thing to be really careful about is tagging. Tagging people, like if you just tag, you may have seen them or you may have been tagged yourself. Oh, like, yeah. There's this there's one person that just tags me every single time he posts a video, but he tags me along with like 40 other people, <laughs> you know, and it's like the same 40 people every time. So every week he posts a video, I'm like, oh, another video has gone up. So <laughs> it's, 
and he's a LinkedIn expert, you know, so it's very, it's, it's something that we have to really be thinking about is how is this being perceived by other people? Like when you're tagging someone, it should be like just one person, maybe two people, two or three people. Like if you did a round table, maybe there were two or three people that were a part of that and you want to call them out, but just you know, don't tag everybody, you know, just because you're trying to play with the algorithm and get some engagement. So I feel like that's kind of the cringe where they stuff to stay away from. I think the things that I love about LinkedIn and in the newsfeed in particular, I like engagement. Like I like it when people have conversations in the comments. So if you can actually get some people thinking and talking with each other, not just with you, like it, the magic is really getting people to engage with each other. And when you see other people commenting on each other's comments, that is powerful. That means you hit something, something resonated. And it's not just about you at that point. It's really about whatever the message was and you spark something and you got people to see things through a different perspective. So I think that is very, very powerful is like really pay attention to who's engaging, how they're engaging and how can you kind of be the person to kind of kickstart that. Because if you can be that person, you're going to grow your business. You're going to attract clients. People are going to come to you and say, oh yeah, I know you're the expert on X, Y, or Z. I've seen some conversations. I know I've seen you in my newsfeed. And they may not be able to point to exactly what it was, but if you're seen as kind of the person that brings people together, not pulling people apart, not pushing people down, not calling people out, you're going to have a lot more long-term success. Yeah, I love that because something that I tell my students who are just getting on LinkedIn for the first time is that, hey, if you don't want to out the gate, become a thought leader and start posting original content, start engaging in the comments. It's a more of a like a, a low profile way to assert your opinion and show that you have thoughts without having to rush in. Cause it can be very intimidating to post, you know, your thoughts as a, or a status update or as an actual post on LinkedIn. So the comments are just a great way to engage with your ideal client in a more passive way. I like that approach too. And it is like, I think getting confidence on LinkedIn to post, it can take a little bit of time, especially if you are new. I think a lot of people do feel a little bit intimidated just by the platform. And especially when you see a lot of thought leaders or depending on who's in your feed, you may see a lot of that braggadocious, you know, like people calling people out and you're like, whoa, I don't know if I want to be a part. The thing is you can, you can create your own newsfeed. So like you can kind of, if there are people in your feed that you don't want to see, or that kind of bother you, you can silence them. You can hit mute. And then by the by the people that you engage with, when you engage with certain types of people, LinkedIn will remember that. And so they will put them at the top of your feed. So you can start being proactive, just looking for posts that you actually do want to comment on that you do want to see more of and comment on those. And then all of a sudden you'll start going, oh, my newsfeed is like filled with all my friends instead of like, oh, who are all these people in my feed, feed screaming at each other? Yeah. And if you are on this platform prospecting and looking to jump on opportunities that you might see come up on your feed, it's so important to be interacting with stuff that you want to see more of. Because I think when we hear the word algorithm, a lot of people tune out and they're like, well, what does that mean? It's very hard to understand. And from what I understand about algorithms, the point is, is that human beings cannot really fully understand an algorithm. Like we have our best guesses, but this is a, a type of machine learning that we are never going to understand the full nuance of. So all we can do is look to the trends, but with the out, what you can do from an algorithm perspective on LinkedIn is stop engaging with stuff that is not relevant to your industry so that that stuff kind of doesn't show up. A lot of my audience is writers looking for clients, you know, freelance clients on LinkedIn, but they start connecting with a bunch of other writers. And 
I say in the beginning, it's great to connect with other writers, of course, like let's all be in this together. And I love the freelance community, but number one, they're not necessarily going to be the people who are posting about opportunities. And number two, it, it becomes kind of a mind game because you see the writers on there who have a presence, who have an engaged, a really engaged following and they're posting all their thoughts. And then as a newbie, you're on there like, oh my God, am I ever going to get there? Like, I don't have a big following. I don't post my thoughts like this. So it's a little bit intimidating. So I say for the time being, when you're building your business, just focus on prospects and not so much people in your, in your, your competition. I think that's a really smart strategy. And I think if more people use that, they would probably save a lot. First of all, they'd save a lot of time. They would not be so frustrated. And then I think the, the comparison game, cause it's so easy to play that comparison game. Like, Oh, they've got like dozens of comments. I have like you know, six or eight, you know, and so we start comparing. And so then that kind of plays into our motivation. Like, I don't know if I should really post, is this really going to work for me? And I think we don't understand that that impact and how it affects the approach we take to LinkedIn. And so I think just pausing to think about that. And I really like that strategy. I think it's a good one, especially if, if you're new, like, and you're not getting into the full arena right away. Right. Kind of find your voice first. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Mindy, explain the mango effect for all of those who do not yet follow you, because I was very interested when I was learning about this. Yeah, so the mango effect, I'm actually starting a podcast called The Mango Effect because people are like, you got to explain this in more detail. So yeah. the mango effect is kind of like, I guess in a nutshell, it's how I live life. And as you can see behind me, that is a mango tree. So if you don't know what a mango tree looks like, that is a mango tree. And what got me thinking when we moved here, there was something about the tree that just like really called me. And my husband and I would sit and we'd talk about it. We're like, you know, the tree, you know, it's kind of like a business, like your business, it takes forever for the tree to grow. And then, you know, you get mangoes, but sometimes they come all at once, you know, you don't always know with mangoes, you don't always know when they're going to come. Like some seasons, there's a lot of fruit. Sometimes there's not a lot of fruit, you know? So there was something about the analogy there that just really captured me. And so I started applying it to business in LinkedIn and I view LinkedIn, like the mango effect is kind of how I would approach LinkedIn, how I approach life in general. It's just everything I think has like a long-term effect and you have to play the long game. Like to grow a good mango tree, to grow a good healthy mango tree, it takes time, it takes patience. You got to give it the right nutrients. And I think that also applies to business. And I see too many people trying to like make it big out of the gates or all of these celebratory stories like, yeah, I got my first six figure business in, you know, 12 months, you know, and it's like, they don't really tell you the whole story. The people that that actually happens to a lot of them have had a bit of a ramp up before that really happened, you know? And so I feel like there's this approach to um, getting results too quickly. And I think if we just took our time, if we just were in things for the long haul, for the long game, that we would see more better and sustainable results. And so approaching life and business through that lens, it's just refreshing. It's kind of fun. Like I love mangoes. It's my favorite fruit as well. So it's just like a fun way to kind of think about our businesses and our lives. I love that. I mean, that's something I struggle with personally is the patience to put in the reps day in and day out and know that eventually it will come. But when you're going through it and you're just starting or you're not seeing the results it can be so easy to get down on yourself and get discouraged. And that's just an awesome analogy and an awesome like way to live life is having that outlook of like, Hey, I'm doing what I can every single day and this will have an end result. Eventually I just have to have faith in the process. 
Yeah, I think the process, you can't rush it. It's one of those things. And everybody's tree, a lot of mango trees, like they grow at different speeds. Some will grow really big pretty quickly and others, it really takes a lot of time. And some of them are a little more stubborn with when they start producing fruit and others are like, oh yeah, I want fruit all the time. So it's just, it's one of those things. I think if we just viewed our individual lives and our businesses through that lens and just like, be patient, you know, maybe it will happen fast. And sometimes it is, it's a breakthrough year. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you find yourself in that, you know, seven figure business range. Others of us, we need to kind of stick in the six figure range for a long time. And that's okay. You know, there really is no rush to make it to some certain mark or metric or comparing ourselves to others because their mango tree is better. It has more fruit. Yeah. We're all on our own path and we're all growing at our, our own time and where we are is perfect. The two sections of a LinkedIn profile that my students struggle with the most is the LinkedIn headline and the about me section. What are some tips and tricks you can share that will help listeners get out of their heads and just do the best they can without letting this step stop them from moving forward in their cold pitching efforts and their lead generation efforts? is a good way just to even frame the question that this can be a hurdle and a lot of people won't start pitching until they get it just right. And I tend to put a lot of emphasis on the headline. I will tell people you shouldn't start pitching until your headline is, is dialed in, but that doesn't mean it has to be perfect. It just needs to be good enough. And so I think it's figuring out, okay, is my headline good enough to start reaching out to people? I think the most important things to get in your headline, I have a formula I like to use. You probably have one too, but the four elements that I like in my headlines are who you are. So telling people kind of what your job title description is, whom you help. So really calling out your target audience, how you help them. So what's your secret sauce? Like what's the the approach that you use? And then the fourth thing would be the results that you generate. So, okay. So what does this actually give them? They need to know how this is, how this is helping them. And I think if you can get all of that into the headline and it doesn't have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be completely wordsmithed. You know, it's like, it's okay. If it's a, if it feels a little clunky, cause you will get better over time. And so what I tend to recommend is like, get that headline good enough where you're like, okay, I can, I can actually send messages. I can send a connection invitation and not feel embarrassed um, by my profile and people will know who I am and what I do. So as long as it's good enough, you should go with it. And then over time, you're going to adjust it. I'm always tweaking mine. I'll come across something or I'm like, ah, I made a little bit of a shift to how I'm positioning myself. And you just change a word here or there. It doesn't have to be anything major. So just get it good enough, I think, to reach out and not be intimidated. Oh, well, it's not perfect yet. I don't think I can reach out to people. And then with the about section, it does need to be somewhat complete. You don't ever want it blank. And you probably talk about this too. Like it's really important to have something there. If people are struggling to get something in that section, a good place to start tends to be if you have a bio somewhere or you have an about page on your website, something like that is a good place to start, but definitely don't stop there. But if your if your section is blank and you're like, I don't know what to put there, just put something on the page. Because as writers, we know that the worst thing is having a blank page. So if you just put something there, then you can shape it. You know, and but then that gives you the opportunity to really think through the story you want to tell. And as a writer, it's it's important, it's really important to your business that you are telling a good story in that about section because people are going to judge your writing, (laughs) you know, so it needs to be good enough in this section, especially as a writer, people are going to look at your about section if it's blank, or it's like, "Ah, it just doesn't kind of have that flow. I don't really know what you do. I think you're a writer, but you've done all these other things too. You need to tell the story. 
And so I like to kind of open it with a good question or something that your target audience is thinking about. Just those first couple lines. And if it's if it's on mobile, then you have just, you know, first few words that people are going to see in that about section. And so you really want to pull them in. You think of that as like the opening to your story. So pull them in with those words then kind of explain stuff in the middle. There's a lot that goes into that. We I know we can't go into all the detail of all the sections, but then always end with a call to action. So like whether that's to connect with you, whether that's to check out your portfolio of work, whatever that is, end with something so they know what to do next. But once that's good enough, again, don't let it hold you back from pitching, you know, and your about section is going to take a lot of different shapes over time. So don't be afraid if it's, you know, I don't quite like this section. That's okay. You know, just get something on the page, make sure it's not blank and start reaching out. Yeah. Wow. So much value there. I love the formula because that's very similar to the formula that I use for my headline too. I think the one thing with headline for freelancers anyway, is that when we're looking to get discovered for a job opportunity or a freelance client who's looking for freelance writers, they might type in freelance writer into their search bar while they're searching for a writer. And what's going to come up is your picture and your headline. So how distinct and how unique and, you know, compelling you can make your headline really just calls out to that client and distinguishes you from a list, a drop down list of all these other writers. So I know for me, I had just B2B freelance copywriter for the longest time and that worked, but then I actually connected with a LinkedIn profile coach on Clubhouse who was giving some free audits and she was like, do this, do this, do that. And, and I, I optimized it and I was like, wow, this is great. But again, to your point, it didn't start out great. It, I crafted it as I get new ideas and see, like you said, what other people are doing. Yeah. Get inspiration. I think with the about section, the biggest mistake I see my audience making as writers is writing a little bit too much about themselves versus putting themselves in the shoes of the client. Let me put it this way. There's this question, what's in it for me? And it's like everybody who's reading anything is subconsciously asking themselves, what's in it for me? Why does this matter to me? So I see writers who will talk about an extensive background, like you said, different things that they've done or just highly focused on them and who they are like almost like a dating profile where you want to talk to yourself and Hey, get to know me. And I, I I don't know how to say this without sounding rude, but nobody cares about you. They just care about, are you right for this job? Can you do what I'm looking for? Can you provide value to this role? So write it through the lens of somebody asking what's in it for me. I love that. And I think that's so important. I think some people take that to the extreme and like copy. I've seen people copy their, their company business page there. Like, and then it's just all their services. Like I do da, 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 and they just like keyword stuff it, you know? So I think that there's, there's a beautiful blend that I think can happen here when, yeah, there is a little bit of your story, but it's not just all about you. People really don't care. They just want to know if you can help them solve their problem. And if you can show them in a way that makes sense to them, that yes, I'm the best person that helps you. And here here's why here do some little bit of name dropping, you know, types of projects that you've worked on, make sure the right keywords are there. So you are found in those searches. I think that is key too. Yep. For sure. Explain to writers who may not be familiar with sales and business terminology, the difference between an inbound strategy and an outbound strategy on LinkedIn. 
Okay. That's a good question. And sometimes it can feel very confusing for people, especially because we talk like, oh, inbound, outbound, and people just go, what does that mean? So an inbound strategy and the simplest of terms is when, when you think of posting content on social media and then people reaching out to you. So for instance, somebody sees something that you posted on LinkedIn and they reach out to you and send you a connection invitation, or they hop onto your email list, or they take an action towards you, but it's coming from something that you've put out there. So that would be an inbound. So the people are coming to you from something you've already published elsewhere, like a piece of content, a podcast, you comment on somebody else's post and they found you that way and they're coming to you. In an outbound strategy, that means you get to pick who these people are, and you are being very, very strategic, or you should be very strategic in reaching out to them. So with inbound, you can't really choose. You just kind of hope you attract the right people. So you think of inbound as attracting. You hope that you're putting the right content out there to pull in the right people. With an outbound strategy, you are saying, okay, I know exactly who my target clients are. I know who my target prospects are. I know what industries they're in. I know their job titles, and I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to be the one that's taking the first step towards them. And usually that happens via like a LinkedIn connection invitation, some using sales navigator to find them and then message them using emails, sometimes a combination of emails and connections and messages and all that good stuff to reach out to them. Sometimes it's commenting also choosing them, finding them in something like sales navigator, and then commenting on a post. So you're making that first step towards them. So with an outbound strategy, you are choosing the people that you want to work with and you are making the effort to reach out to them versus inbound where you're attracting. See, the method I teach in 30 days to paid relies entirely on outbound. Your strategy is more about building authority so that inbound can actually occur from what I understand. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think but you have to have both. And I think you are so spot on. I was I was stoked when I when I saw that you focused on outbound. I'm like, I feel like that is so underdeveloped on LinkedIn. I've seen because especially in the space that I operated in and helping people, everyone's focused on, I want a newsletter, I want to, you know, do a LinkedIn live. I want all these people coming to me. And I'm like, yeah, but you also need that outbound component. Like they have to work together. So I think sometimes people focus too heavily on one or the other when really they need to work together in a way that feels seamless. But the amount of inbound to outbound, like the ratios of how much effort you're putting into each is going to be different. So if you are really focused on building thought leadership, then you're probably going to put a lot more emphasis on the inbound than the outbound. I think trying to get gigs and you're really using LinkedIn to fill your pipeline, then you may not do as much inbound and that's okay. You should really be focused on that outbound element. So I think it really depends on the person and what type of business model that you have and your target prospects. I think for my audience, building thought leadership and authority is something that I would say is the long game. It, but in the beginning to see immediate results, I recommend that writers play the numbers game, which is writing thoughtful pitches at scale. So one of the things that I provide my students is a template to say, hey, here's how to structure a LinkedIn connection request because you only have a limited amount of characters unless you are on premium or navigator where you can in-mail them immediately, but customize this, but, but customize it at scale. You don't want to sit there researching one, you know, prospect for an hour, just mention something personal that allows your message to stand out from the crowd. I think everybody would love to just start posting on LinkedIn and have people coming to them. Like you said, that's the dream. And what's interesting is that in the freelance writing community, whenever you type a Google search or see the prominent thought leaders for, you know, freelance writers, they do recommend that 
new writers get started with what I would think of as an inbound strategy. It's like, hey, publish a blog, start writing, put yourself out there, prove that you can write, network, whatever network means. I hate that. It's so vague. Yeah. That's really why I started paidcopywriter.com. That's why my course is about LinkedIn and how to do cold outreach because I had this background in sales. And when I saw these strategies being recommended, I'm saying to myself, my sales manager in the past would kill me for this. If I just thought I was going to network to generate leads, like that's not how it works. You can't rely on that. So I happen to have this heavy background in cold calling, cold emailing, even door to door. I was a field rep. Like I've done all the heavy lead generation. So I had a lot to offer in that sense of being like, no, 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 you can take control of your situation and create your own opportunities. And yes, it's going to suck because you're going to send 50 messages and only a certain percentage of those are going to get answered. Right. But it, I, in my opinion, you make more progress that way versus, Hey, I'm just going to start posting on LinkedIn to try to generate leads. Just sit around twiddling your thumbs or spend, I think the mistake I see people make is they spend so many hours like writing content. They're like, okay, they have like this beautiful LinkedIn newsletter that nobody reads or, you know, (laughs) they're posting, they're they're posting multiple times per day, or they're spending hours just commenting on stuff and trying to get into conversations when it's like, okay, if you took that same amount of time and put it into outreach you would actually probably have a sale by now within, you know, a certain period of time if you actually took that same energy and effort that you're spending trying to attract people. So I think it really depends. I think it's a nice blend, but I think if you are trying to get results, especially sales results right away, you have to have an outbound strategy. There's no reason and it doesn't make any logical sense to rely on inbound unless you have a certain followers. I mean, if you're really popular and you've built a lot of programs, you built a lot of authority in this space, that may work. And that may work. And I think that's the problem is like too many of us look at these big brands or people that have been around for a decade, two decades, and they built up this following over time, but they didn't start out that way. That's not how they got their first gigs. That's not how they first started working in their fields, you know, and building up that client base. They had to hustle. And I think that hustle, sometimes it's, it's not very sexy. And people, it's, it's, people look at it like, oh, well, that's not as fun. You know, it's like, I want to get engagement and posts. So the real magic is actually happening behind the scenes in your DMs. That's where you can see the opportunities happen and nobody else can see that but you. So you have to put in that effort and you have to stay disciplined with those pitches and that outreach approach. That's like the vanity metrics versus. So yeah, (laughs) they're so compelling sometimes. Yeah. That's like the biggest misconception because we see LinkedIn or we see just social media influencers with massive followings. And we assume, well, they're winning. They have 3000 likes on one post, but a lot of uh, influencers like on Instagram, they're not monetizing and they don't even have an offering or a product necessarily. So yes, attention is the new currency right now with the way things are with online business and the fact that we're so connected, but you have to really be intentional about what you do with that following. So you'd be surprised that a lot of Instagram influencers are actually broke despite having really large followings. 
I like that intentional part that you mentioned. Okay. Intentional. So like for me and for many of the clients that I work with too, they don't really care how many connections or followers they have. A lot of them barely post content. Maybe they post here and there kind of engage with things, but on the back end, they've got this like very healthy pipeline of they want to have six to 10 calls a month with high quality people. They want to get into these conversations. And so that's really what their focus is and they could care less. And I've learned a lot from them, especially because I get pulled towards like, oh, the influencers, that's just my persona. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I want to be like that too. But that's not necessarily where the business growth comes from. I have learned, I think over time that it pays more to actually deepen my connections than it does to just go wider and try to attract more for the sake of having more. And so I can look more legit or look more popular, look like more of an expert. That's really not where the expertise comes. And I think we we just have to learn for our businesses what works. And sometimes, yeah, we we have to take take our lickings where when they happen, when we put our put all our eggs in one basket and try to go too heavy on inbound and realize, ah, that might not be the right way to go about this. Totally. Something I constantly tell writers who want to start cold pitching on LinkedIn is that they need a strategy. So I teach writers in my course how to craft their messages, like I said, personalize at scale and set realistic goals for how many cold pitches they'll send per day. And you wrote about tracking performance by the number of leads. Can you go more into detail about what that means and how maybe my writers can adapt this strategy? Yeah. So number of leads. So what I like to do, it's probably very similar to what you're doing with your strategy is I like to figure out, okay, if I put in this number of leads at the top of the funnel, I'm going to get this number at the bottom of the funnel. So when I'm working with clients and when I'm working with my program members too, and they're trying to figure out, okay, how many people do I actually have to reach out to, to get to the number of clients that I want per month? It really is a little bit of trial and error at the beginning to figure out because everybody's different in like, it depends on your market, how reachable, how accessible are people on LinkedIn, how responsive is their sales cycle long? Like, are you trying to get into working with bigger companies where they may have to talk to a lot of stakeholders to try to come to a decision? Or are you working with more like scrappy, you know, business owners that can just kind of make a decision on the spot? So it takes one sales call. So you have to understand, I think a lot about your own sales process. So it may take a little bit of time. I think the first thing I would say is be patient at the beginning. You probably have a recommended number of, you know, messages that they should send per week. And that's going to vary. So even if they feel like, oh, well, I didn't get as many, you know, as I thought I was going to get out the bottom, you know, by sending that, then you just increase the number of messages you send at the top. So for me, I like to run 90 day experiments. So I like to just like track things for a month. Sometimes you can't really see the trends within like week to week, especially if there's holidays, sometimes people's schedules are a little weird. So I like to track month over month and I will track the number of connection invitations that I send. Cause that's usually how I kickstart it. Some people I will track in mails. If we, if they have a LinkedIn sales navigator account and they're sending in mails, but sometimes you don't have enough in mails for that month to send to as many prospects as you want. So you have to use a combination of in mails and connection invitations. And then I like to track the percentage of connection invitations that are accepted. How many, then how many people respond to those connection invitations and figure out, okay, is that a good number? Are people accepting and not really talking to me? And then how many of those people actually hop on a call with you? And that's going to, and then how many of those can you convert to sales? So I think that's basically, if you can figure out those numbers, that's your, basically what your funnel is on LinkedIn, you're going to know, okay, so if I send, I'll just throw out some numbers, like sample numbers based on some of my clients, they will send like 50 to 70 connection invitations or messages per month. And then they expect out the bottom that they'll probably have six to eight, maybe 10 calls with 
people that they've reached out to month. So that that tends to work pretty well for most people, but it really just depends on your audience. For some people, it's like we have to reach out to 120, you know, within a month to get that many out the bottom, or maybe we're just shooting for four to five, but those are really high paying clients and they're going to convert well. So if you can convert people through that process, if you are really good and you understand and spend the time, I think to understand your numbers, you are going to be so much more successful. So take those first 30 days, like you said, you have that 30 day program and kind of do that for three months, you know, and see how that goes. And then you you will have a really good baseline to know what you need to do on LinkedIn to get the right flow. Cause you also want to be careful that you don't overwhelm yourself. I had a client, he's like, let's send as many as we can. So we sent a lot. He had like 35 calls within the span of one month, which he, that's not what he doesn't enjoy doing that many calls, sales calls, plus all the follow-up calls. And so she's like, Mindy, you, ne you nearly killed me. So, you know, you have to be thoughtful about how many you actually want, like how many clients do you actually want and match that pace. So then it's sustainable for you over time. I think I'm recommending around the same amount of cold messages per month, around the 50, the 60 yeah. range. And what I noticed with freelance clients is that if you are on a call with them, there's a pretty high percentage that they're going to convert just because, yeah, these, these marketers, they tend to sell themselves. And that's why the first part of my program is about, Hey, let's get your LinkedIn profile filled out correctly. Let's make sure your website and portfolio are rock solid because people will do their due diligence. They'll research you a lot before accepting yeah. the call. The call is almost, at least for freelance writing, the call is like, are you a psychopath or not? Let me just get on a call. Formality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you like a human? Or are you like a, I don't know. So that's the irony is that the call is so important because the freelancers uh, that I work with, they're going to be asking for thousands of dollars per month, month over month. And you need to have that in-person rapport and you yep. need to have a face-to-face -face connection on a Zoom call. So on the one hand, it's really important, but on the other hand, you have to understand that your online presence does most of the heavy lifting for you, especially because the way people buy today, they say like 70% of the purchasing decision is made before you ever connect with the, the provider of services and goods. So we are doing our own research. We're basing all of this on what we see online. And then the in-person is just like, okay, do we really want to move forward with this? Are we connecting on that level? Yeah. And I think that's the beauty, I think, of being in that space. And I've experienced something similar with just my conversion rates too, just for my own business. It is kind of more of the formality and just how do we want to go about this? How are we moving forward? It's more of a how are we moving forward conversation because people tend to do their homework up front. But you need to make sure that you have crossed all those T's, dotted all those I's, like you said, portfolio in order, personal brand, and they need to feel like everything is consistent. They're not finding like wonky, weird threads of topics here and there. They need to feel that you're, you are the person that you are representing yourself to be. Consistency is really big because at least for freelance writers, they want to write about a lot of different topics and they have portfolios that tend to be scattered across all yeah. these different niches and industries. And I say, I know it's tempting to include everything that you've done because it's, it's a miracle if you can get published online, but unless it's relevant to your client, all you're doing is making them dig 
through your portfolio to see if you've written anything relevant to them. And then at that point you could lose them. And that's what I don't want people to, because the internet is not so much about reading. It's about skimming. And once we latch onto something that we see that interests us, then we start to read. That tends to be how we consume content on the internet. So the more work and the more obstacles you have in your online presence for them to really determine if you're the fit, it, it works against you. Yeah. And sometimes we have to take off our writer's hat and we have to put on the hat of our client and like, okay, so if I'm starting this fresh with this person, like I'm, I just met, I just met you and I want to learn more about you. We have to put on that hat and kind of take ourselves through the journey. Like, okay, what are they going to see? Um, what are they going to look at first? How does my portfolio look? Are they going to find the topics that they needed and make it easy for them to find what they're looking for? So they can just click a button and, oh, oh yeah, here are three to four articles that kind of speak to the exact topic that we're looking for versus like trying to dig through things. And if we're just really thoughtful about that upfront and we think about that customer journey and you know that coming from a sales background, it's all about that journey. If we can take them on a very clear, concise journey where it just is like, okay, I have no questions. By the time I come to talk to you, it's like, okay, I, I know what you represent. I know what your writing style is. I have all of my questions answered. The more we can do that upfront, the easier it is to close that deal. I always say the LinkedIn profile can do the majority of selling for you if it's done right. It's so yes. powerful and it's free, which is crazy. So the last thing I was going to ask you about was the LinkedIn influencer type thing. But I feel like we did talk about that, this misleading aspect of, oh, I need to be a LinkedIn influencer, but okay, we've established that we don't. So I'm going to take the question in a different direction. We didn't discuss this ahead of time, but I did see on your social media that you did some weightlifting. Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> I do. Okay. You're probably like, why the hell is she bringing this up? And I'll tell you why. So something my audience struggles with is confidence. A lot of this stuff that I'm teaching with LinkedIn and lead generation and cold outreach. Yes. It takes a little bit of confidence to cold pitch selling, right? Cause none of us want to be rejected. It goes against our primitive desire to stay safe and be within the crowd. So, okay, there's that. But I think there's all this non-mental stuff that we can do. Like if you say, oh, what are some mindset tips for confidence? You're going to get the boilerplate like, oh, do this, do that. Think this way, challenge those negative thoughts. But something I'm realizing after rejoining a gym, because during the pandemic, I stopped weightlifting and I got really into biking when the gyms closed down. Eventually, you know, they open back up, lift the mask mandate. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back into the gym. And I started weightlifting and I noticed that this has done wonders for my confidence. Something about being able to lift something heavy makes me not dwell on this stuff that's going on on my computer. Like when we're in business, we're so up in our heads and we're solving all these complex problems and we're taking things personally and it gets overwhelming and something about knowing that you did something hard with your body makes all of this seem smaller and puts it into perspective. And I wanted to talk to you about this because you're a woman, I'm a woman. I don't think women now it's different. It's changing. I don't think women are super into weightlifting the way that men are. So I want to talk about that and see, do you agree? This is like a confidence booster. And I know it's not the traditional advice, but. 
I am so glad you brought this up because this is something I, my husband, and I talk about this all the time. I got into weightlifting when it was definitely not very cool. Like back in 2008. And I remember going to the gym and I was like working out next to these like big giant bodybuilders. And there were no women in the gym. I was at like some gold's gym, you know, and I'm like trying to learn how to do like little bicep curls. And I thought, you know what? There was something about it though, that drew me to the gym. And there was something about, like you mentioned, confidence and doing something very difficult with your body, having to learn all of these different moves. And it is very empowering, I think, especially as a woman to be strong. There's something about strong and it can be strong in other ways. If you, if weightlifting is not your thing, that's fine. But there is something special that I have found in weightlifting and it has never left me. Like I, I remember back then I'm like, okay, 10 years from now, I'm going to still be lifting weights. And I am. And it is, a, it's like a daily part of my practice. It's either that or surfing now, now that we live on the islands. I love surfing surfing. There's something also very powerful once you can actually move your body in space for a woman, you know, and like being on a board, there's something also that gives you that feeling like weightlifting does. I can do this, you know, that may not be the best at it, but there's something that does help with the confidence. And I think we do focus so much on like the mental and we hear all of, like you mentioned, like, oh, just be stronger in your mind, you know, do some meditation and do these things. Those are great. I, and I do those things too, but there isn't anything that can replace, I think, picking up a heavy thing, moving a heavy object, getting your blood pumping and being strong in that way. And it carries into your business. Like I can tell the people that are very much into training and I have like an instant connection with them, you know, cause it's like, oh, yeah, you get it, you get it, you get it. You get the whole gym thing, you know, and they're like, I noticed your traps and you're like, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid of heavy things. And I think we can, we can channel that energy. And it does like, if I didn't work out, I don't think I would be at all as successful in business or enjoy the business that in the lifestyle that I have, because it just, it empowers you from the, from the outside in. I think we need the inside out stuff too, but I think some of that outside in working from the muscles into our, into our being, into our confidence is so, so critically important. And if it's something that's been on the horizon for you, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, in the new years, one of these days I'll get into the gym, just do it. Sign up. If you, if you're nervous, sign up and get a personal trainer for like three sessions, just to show you around the gym. And, you know, give it a go. Or there are so many online programs that people can sign up for as well. If you like an app at home, I have a bunch of apps that I like using too, just to kind of get me motivated. You know, figure out what works for you, but it, it really will help you. I think with the confidence aspect, it's kind of a great side benefit of weight training. Yeah, I so relate to the beginning. We were talking about you would go into the gym and there's all these big men there. And yeah. <laughs> like Instagram and fitness influencing has changed the game. I do know that women are definitely more in the gym than they were, but I know when I first went into the gym and it was a weightlifting gym, it was a local gym. I wasn't necessarily insecure about men staring at me. I, I thought that they were going to know I was doing something wrong. It was like this insecurity of, because people say, oh, you know, women don't want to go to the gym because they don't want dudes staring at them. Okay, whatever. Like, you know, that happens, but I didn't want them to know that I didn't know what I was doing. I, I felt like when I walked in there, everyone would be like, what the hell is that girl doing? Like, you know, if you're performing a move wrong or something, and that's exactly what I did. I got a personal trainer. I worked with him for four months. He taught me the basic, uh, movements, the push pull movements, the squats, the deadlift barbell press, and that structure stuck with me. And you know, you never forget that. So it's such a great investment. And I just see so many insecurities in the freelance writing community specifically because writers tend to be more introverted. There's a lot of 
mental illness and I have anxiety. I've struggled with that. I mean, we tend to, when we pursue an introverted career path, like writing, it's probably because you enjoy being quiet in a room by yourself and not putting yourself out there. And every time I'm in the you know gym in the morning and I'm doing these heavy moves and I get really pumped up and I feel amazing. I'm like, I wish more girls did this and not to look like a, not to look like an model, not to look like, and no, you're not going to get bulky and look like you're on steroids either. A lot of women are afraid of that too. You know, the typical guy goes to the gym and they're like doing the curls and like staring at their muscles. It's very aesthetic for them. And I think for women, if you can ask yourself, what is a functional way that this movement will help me in real life? Because for me, I pick up my dog. She's like, she's aging and I need to help her into the car. She has like the hip dysplasia. And I imagine when I'm doing the deadlift or when I'm lifting anything, I'm like, this is going to help me to be strong enough to pick up my dog. I have to brace my core and not hurt my back. So for women, because some not to stereotype, but we tend to be more nurturing. It's like, how is this movement going to help us operate in our daily lives in a very functional way? If something fell on your old aging mother, could you lift that bookshelf off her? Like, that's what I think of in my head, as weird as it sounds. (laughs) I love that. Like, it's funny because I think about these things too. For a while, I was really into like, how big can I get my squats? How big I could do my deadlift? And now it's like, you're talking about functional. It's like, so when I'm doing my movements now, it's like, okay, how is this going to help me surf better? It's like, okay, can I actually get my knee in the right position? And I have mobility and strength in all of these different positions. So it's kind of taken the the number and the aesthetic focus because I was into bodybuilding competing at the very beginning. But it's like kind of pulled away from that because I just didn't like that obsession with image and it wasn't healthy. But getting strong, there's something about getting stronger and being able to do those things that just helps you become a better businesswoman or businessman if you, you know, if any men listening. But it's just so empowering. And yeah, I wish more women understood and could relish in this moment with us. Just get out there and do it. Just try, you know, like I just get a couple sessions. It is addicting. I think once you get into it and then it affects every other area. I've noticed I have so much more mental clarity. It's like diets. You want to eat well because you have good energy. You have better workouts, helps with the cycle and just managing all of those levels. It's just it so many benefits. And I think as I'm, I'm introverted too. It's also good for introverts. Just put on your headphones and you can kind of do your own thing. Nobody's going to mess with you at the gym. It's like, it's kind of like a safe place. I've always felt it's kind of been like a safe place to be out in public. If I didn't want to talk to people a lot either, just put on the headphones and it kind of signals to people that you're in your own zone and doing your own thing. So. So good. I love it. I know that was like a left turn from, but I I think it's so relevant. More people need to know about this. (laughs) So Mindy, tell the audience a little bit more about how A, they could find you and B, just about how you help people on LinkedIn and what it is that you're offering. So you can find me on LinkedIn, obviously, um, Mindy Rosser, and it's Mindy with an I. So if you're looking it up, it's Mindy with an I. I'm also on Instagram. So if you want to see like fitnessy, surfing, Hawaii stuff, that's where you want to follow me, Mindy R. Rosser. So there's an extra R in there. And what I help people do, I have a program called uh, the LinkedIn Accelerator. So it's focus on the LinkedIn profile and then getting your first 50 connections. So it's a five-day sprint type of program. So if people are interested in that, I offer that as well. And you can find all of that on my socials. Awesome. Oh, it was so good talking to you, Mindy. And thank you for coming on. I'm so excited for my audience to hear this. Okay. Stop.